Morning, everyone. Hope you're all doing well. Pastor was talking about snow, and I had a little bit of a heart attack there. <laughs> but uh, it's definitely been an adjustment coming back from where we serve. The weather's definitely a bit different, so I'm just thankful for this rain. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just glad that it's not uh, sticking to the ground and make everything too slippery, you know. But uh, I do want to quickly introduce my family uh, when I talk about our field and about what God's called us to do. I'll be sharing a little bit more of that in the second service today. Uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to being able to share with you what God has done. Uh, but uh, I'm looking right now. I don't think my wife's in here right now. She might be in the back. Oh, yep, there she is. She's waving at me. She's in the, uh, back in the foyer there with our little one. Uh, God's blessed us with three children. We've got uh, their names might be a little hard, so I'm going to say them. And it's okay. You can ask me for them later. But we've got Kalel, who is six, we've got Ariel, who is three, and now we've got Jaira, who is just about six weeks now. Uh, my wife's back there saying that, so I remember. Uh, about six weeks now. Uh, and uh, we're just so thankful that God's allowed us to come back so that uh, uh, we could have a safe delivery here uh, in Canada. Uh, but we're, uh, we're just so thankful that God's allowed us to be able to come back here. Now, we're thankful for you all because you took us on for support sight unseen. We were on the field, and uh, of course, there's just a little thing that's been happening in the last couple of years called the pandemic, right? And uh, during that time, some of our support had gone down, and you all very graciously called us and, and offered to take us on for support. And because of your sacrifice, because of your faithfulness, that's really helped us to stay on the field. So we really want to thank you for that. Um, even just looking around, it's been a long time since we've been here. Uh, everything looks, looks great. It's different. It's changed. Uh, maybe not for you guys because it's, it's, it's been recent, but for us it's been years. Uh, seeing a lot of uh, familiar faces and new faces as well. So many of you have seen me grow up, so there's no pretense here. <laughs> and when you, all when you all took us on, I'm thinking, they, they know me and they're, they're still taking us on? Okay, all right. But uh, once again, I just want to express to you how thankful we are uh, that uh, you've chosen to partner with us in ministry uh, in, in both prayer and financial support so that we can share the gospel with those who God has called us to. Uh, without further ado, I do want to get into the message because, of course, we don't want to cut into snack time after. Uh, so if you'd open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7, this passage... God laid on my heart for quite some time and just really mulled over it. And God brought me to this passage at a time where, again, like I said earlier, no pretense here. God brought this passage to me at a time where really I was struggling. Um, of course, we all face our challenges and things like that. But God brought this to me at a particular time where I was really close to just throwing in the towel. I thought, God, I'm, I'm not really uh, doing what I think uh, uh, I, I should be allowed to do. Uh, I'm not uh, doing as much as what I would expect myself to do. Of course, uh, with everything going on in the country that we serve, there were a lot of lockdowns related to COVID. And, and I just felt like I didn't really have the freedom to do basic things like just outreach or even just to talk to people. And during that time, God had uh, allowed us to uh, meet some people, get connected with some people who had really helped us with our paperwork. And so they had kind of handled a lot of that stuff uh, since 2018. That was when we arrived on the field. And it was very recently that we realized that they had been handling things not so great. And to make a very long story short, and I'll share a little bit more of, uh, of the details uh, later in the second service, but basically it all came back to bite us and it all kind of just blew up in our face regarding our paperwork. And so 
we were basically on the verge of being deported. In fact, we actually got called in and we were told, you've got a red mark on your file, you're going to be deported and blacklisted. And, you know, from a human standpoint, we know God called us there. And, but from a human standpoint, we had put a lot of time and, and, and energy and resources. And we had really prayed. And God had already allowed us to build some really good relationships and have a work going there. And so the last thing we wanted was for us to have to leave the country. And then, of course, being blacklisted and not being able to return. And so we prayed. And, and I really had a hard time forgiving those guys that I had trusted to handle our paperwork. And I thought at that moment, okay, God, you know what? Fine, send us home. I mean, if this is just going to keep happening, all these challenges that we have to face, I know everyone's got to face them, but I think this is just too much for me. I don't know if I can handle this. And that's when God brought me to this passage of Scripture. I'm going to read it together, and I'm going to tell you a story, and then we're going to get right into the, the passage itself. But Luke chapter 7, we'll begin reading in verse 36. To me, this passage is so interesting because it's one of the shortest parables that Christ teaches. Really, there's no background to it. He kind of just presents the story almost like an outline form. It's very quick. It's, it's very brief. And I believe he does that for a reason because it's the lesson that he teaches from it that really shines out. And that's, why, that's what I want us to, uh, to pay attention to this morning. So if you'd read, uh, uh, follow along with me, I should say, as I read beginning in verse 36 of Luke chapter 7. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. <clears throat> Verse 39. Now when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus, answering, said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. And here's the parable here, verse 41. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both, Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? And Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. He returned, excuse me, he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss. But this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, and I want us to pay attention to this verse specifically, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. You know, I really had a hard time understanding this passage of Scripture when I first read it. In fact, the first couple times I read it. And God brought me uh, uh, to a place. He allowed something to happen in my life that helped me understand this in some way. 
on the field where we serve, we were able to take a little missions trip, help out another missionary uh, in another city a couple hours from where we were. And uh, there was a, uh, we were kind of going around, I was preaching at different churches and helping this missionary out and it was just amazing to see how different that, the, the, the culture was in that city compared to where we were serving. So our family was, uh, I was able to take my family along for the trip and we were just learning and learning and they eventually brought us to this mountain church, way up in this mountain, in the jungles. And in fact, there's a little clip of it uh, in our video that you'll see later today. But as we go into the church, uh, they're setting up, and I'm sitting down with the missionary, and as people are coming in, I begin uh, talking with these church members and greeting them, and in comes this lady, and right away I notice because she is really having a hard time just walking into the building. And as I see her, I see her leg, and, 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 and one of her legs is just absolutely mangled, and she's using a, a, a crutch to walk on in. And as I see her come in, I, I, I come up to her, I start talking to her, just a bit of small talk. And later on, I, I go back and I go to the missionary and, and I, I ask him about her. I go, wow, this lady, how long has she been coming? And he goes into her backstory and he said she'd been coming for many years. But about three or four years before uh, we were arrived at that church, she had uh, uh, been taking, usually every Sunday, this, this van that would uh, take her to church. She lived about two kilometers just down the mountain, uh, and the mountain, the, those roads were not uh, uh, very, very nice. They were pretty steep. And so she would ride this van, and of course, you know, third world country, they don't have guardrails, and during one trip, that van went off the road and, and fell off the side of a cliff with her in it, and basically, she crushed her leg in that accident. But ever since then, she'd be coming back to church faithfully. And she had a bit of trauma from that, so she didn't want to ride the van or any vehicle ever again, and so she would walk those two kilometers from her house all the way up to church. And I'm sure you've heard stories like that before, stories that make you feel convicted, and so I'm starting to feel conviction, and I hear that story, and I go to that lady, and I start talking with her. And she asks me this question. She says, you know why I keep coming? Because you should probably see it on my face, how amazed I was, how convicted I was at her faithfulness. She said, do you know why I keep coming? I said, why? Why do you keep coming? For, for the community? For the fellowship? She said, no. Because I love him. And I mean, I go back to the missionary and I'm thinking, man, <laughs> here I am wanting to throw in the towel. Here I am wanting to, you know, a, a little bit of a hardship comes by and at least to me and my, from my perspective, it's it's a pretty big hardship. Lord, I don't know if I can, I can do this. You're asking me to step out of my comfort zone again, but it's, it's too big of a step. I don't know if I can do this. And here this lady is coming up two kilometers uphill and downhill on a crutch on one leg so that she can be at church. Now, before I continue, I want to make this very clear. This is not a message designed to guilt trip, okay? This is not a, oh, look how much this lady's doing. You guys got to, you know... Uh, batting down the hatches, we, we, we got to just do more, we got to do more because of that. No, this is not supposed to be a guilt-motivated message at all. In fact, Christ here, I don't believe he's using guilt at all. I don't believe Christ ever uses guilt to motivate his followers. So what is Christ trying to say here? What is Christ trying to teach here? Well, I do want to ask this question first. What is your motivation in life? What is your motivation in life? Because when we go through hardships that we feel we can't handle, a lot of times it's a great time to reevaluate, why am I doing what I'm doing? 
everyone really has a motivation. You might be motivated by fear. You might be motivated by wanting to look good in front of your peers. You might be motivated by duty. And duty in and of itself is not a, a bad motivation, but see, these motivations, they're not sustainable. If the only reason why you're serving the Lord is because, oh, it's just because I have to. I got to check this off my list. It's not sustainable. It will end in frustration. And through the Bible, we see the Apostle Paul, we see many other people talk about or show the motivations as Christ uh, or, and God in the Old Testament would try them and we would see their motivations come to light. But I want to ask that question, why do we serve the Lord? And of course, I'm sure many of you know the correct motivation is love. Why did that lady come all the way up to that church even though she clearly had a disability? It's because she loved him. Is that our motivation today? We are to love God and to serve God because we love him. Now again, it's possible for us to serve because of another motivation, but it will end in frustration. It's not sustainable. Today we're going to look at two people that I believe both love the Lord. I really truly believe that, but to a different extent. So I want to present these two questions as we continue. Do I obey the Lord out of love? I have to ask myself this question. And if I do, how much do I love? How much do I love? The first thing I want us to look at is the debt. The debt. There's a debt mentioned here in this parable as we look at verse 41. The Bible says there was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And I want us to notice here in the first phrase in verse 42 when Jesus is saying, and when they had nothing to pay. The first thing we notice about this debt is that it was unpayable. It was unpayable. And I believe this parable is a great illustration of our lives spiritually. You see, before I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, I had a debt. And it was unpayable. There was nothing I could do. I could tell you right now of, of, of so many people that we've met that are so much more adherent to their religion than I could ever be. I'm talking about people who pray for hours and hours and hours and hours on end. People who have memorized large portions of, of, of the holy book which they follow. The religious book, I should say, that they follow. And they do all these things trying to repay this debt, but they cannot. It's impossible. It doesn't matter how much I go to church. doesn't matter how much I serve. It doesn't matter how much I do all these things, fill out my checklist, get it done. I cannot pay this debt. I could not pay this debt. It was unpayable. And you know what's very interesting to me is that Christ uses these two figures here. There's two debtors, but he specifically points out that one owed more than the other. One owed 500 pence, the other owed 50. Now, pence here in the Bible, it's speaking of something called a denarii, which is roughly the equivalent of one day's worth of wages. So if you can imagine here, one guy's owing 500 days worth of wages. I don't think any of us would want a debt like that. Almost two years worth of uh, 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 a debt that's worth almost two years' worth of wages? But see, the other guy, 50 days' worth of wages, that was his debt, 50 pence. Now, none of us would like that either, but it seems a little bit more manageable, right? But here's the point, is that it didn't matter that one guy's was bigger than the other. Both were unpayable. They had nothing to pay. And I can tell you right now, friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you still have a debt, and there's no way you can pay it. No religion, no amount of good works that you can do 
is going to ever pay that off. You might think, oh, but my debt doesn't seem very big. It's not 500 like someone else, it's just 50. But it's still unpayable. The second thing about this debt is that it was forgiven. It was forgiven. Let's look at verse 42 once again. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Now again, this is so interesting because Christ gives literally no background. We don't know who these guys are. We don't even really know who the creditor is. You know, it really, honestly, as I think about it, it's more of an example than a story. But we don't even know what these guys owed this creditor for. What, what did they do to owe so much? And, and we don't even know the reason for why they were forgiven, but that's beside the point. All we know is that they were forgiven. They were forgiven. And what I love about it is they were forgiven completely. As a nine-year-old, when I trusted the Lord as my Savior, there was my sin debt, and Christ died on the cross, and he rose again to forgive it. And when I asked him for forgiveness, he didn't just say, yeah, you've got the sin debt, but how about I just pay for half of it? How about you pay it back in installments? How about I take care of it, just some of it? We'll just write off some of it. No, Christ forgave it completely. And here we see that even though these men had a debt, these two men, they had a debt, and it was unpayable. It was forgiven. It was forgiven, and it was forgiven completely. But now Christ almost kind of switches gears. He asks this question, which is very interesting. He says to Simon, this Pharisee, he says to him, tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Which of these guys that owed this debt and were forgiven, which of them will love him most? So as important as it is, the picture of the debt being paid and I want to make sure that we understand that. That is so important. I mean, that's why we're here today. We're here today because for those of us who are saved, our debt's been paid. We don't have to worry about it anymore. It isn't hanging over our head. There's no, there's no invoice sitting in a drawer somewhere. Don't you hate when that happens, right? There's no, there's no bill that's been left unpaid. No, it's taken care of. It's done. But like I said, Christ is switching gears now. Now he's not talking so much about the debt. He's talking about the response to the debt being forgiven now. He says to Simon, tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Now, Simon answers, and he says this. He says, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. Right? I think that's how we'd all answer. It makes sense. And Christ says back to him, thou hast rightly judged. And this is where I find this lesson just absolutely mind-blowing. Again, like I told you, it took me many reads through this passage for uh, the Holy Spirit to really, truly show me this lesson at a time that I really needed it. But Christ turns to the woman in verse 44. He turns to the woman, but then he says to Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. He gavest me no water. Oh, thou, excuse me, thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. He, Christ goes down and he lists all these things that Simon did not do, but that the woman did. And again, like, like I said earlier, this is not supposed to be guilt-driven. But doesn't it kind of seem that way? It's like, Christ, you're, you're, you're kind of calling this guy out in front of all his guests. Remember, he invited you to come eat at his house. Now, granted, you, you, you've got some thoughts that needed to be corrected. You, you're saying these things in your heart that Christ is addressing. But now Christ goes on to supposedly, it looks like, he's saying, Simon, you didn't do this, and she is doing this, and you didn't do this, and she is doing this. And I'm thinking, Christ, uh, I mean, that's, that's, 
that's kind of works driven, right? That's kind of, there's a lot of guilt there. I'd feel guilty. I'd kind of be, you know, looking for a place to just hide if I was Simon. But then he gets to verse 47. He says, wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And first we saw the debt. The second point that I have here is the lesson. The lesson. And there are three things that I find here in this lesson that really just changed my perspective completely of serving the Lord. Of what should motivate me. Of what needs to be the very fuel that I use to stay faithful to the Lord. The first thing that I see here is how much we serve is directly correlated to how much we love. It's directly correlated. Now, I'm sure you've heard this before. You can serve the Lord without loving Him, but you can't love the Lord without serving Him. You see, a lot of times, what we do, it can become routine. It can become something that is just, well, it's just what I do. It's my culture. It's my church culture. It's just, again, routine, routine, routine. We go through the motions. And I think this was almost kind of like a wake-up call for Simon because, you see, we judge Simon a lot of times. As I read this, I judge Simon. I'm thinking, man, Simon, what are you thinking? If you look at the, the, the parallel passages in Matthew and Mark and in John as well, you, uh, Simon's also uh, uh, called Simon the leper. And many Bible scholars, they take from that, and of course, we, we, we know that if Simon was truly leprous, there's no way he'd be able to invite Christ and have a, a, a feast at his house. He would have been unclean. He would have been separated from society. So many Bible scholars believe that Simon once had leprosy. He was healed. He was restored to his position as a Pharisee. And on top of that, he's had Christ into his house just a few weeks after Lazarus was raised from the dead. And uh, for, for those of you who know the story well, you remember that even Christ going to Bethany, it was dangerous for him. The disciples were afraid because the scribes and the Pharisees, they were lying in wait. They wanted to kill Christ. And this is happening. This story we're reading is just happening a short time before Christ's triumphant entry into Jerusalem and him having that last supper. We know then that the scribes and Pharisees, they were out, they were out for Christ. They wanted to do him in. And yet this Pharisee, Simon, invites him over to his house for a feast, seemingly in the open. I'm going to give Simon his credit. The other Pharisee we know of who had close contact with Christ was Nicodemus. And if you remember, in John chapter 3, he came to Christ by night. And here he is, Simon's having in the open. So before we get too harsh on Simon, let's remember, he's doing something here. So we're talking about two people here, this woman, many believe to be Mary Magdalene, we have these two people who love Jesus Christ, but Christ is now asking, to talking to Simon. He's saying, look, these, he's using this example. Two people have been forgiven here, but tell me, which one of them will love the forgiver most? How much we serve is directly correlated to how much we love. Christ here isn't comparing their service so that Simon just feels rotten and feels ashamed. He's making a point here. He's pointing something out. He's pointing out that, look, the reason why she's serving so much, she's doing what we would consider just crazy, even just entering for a woman of her reputation. We saw at the beginning of this passage, she's known as a sinner. Verse 37 specifically says, and behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner. 
And even later, Simon's thinking, if, if, if Christ knew who this woman was, like how terrible of a sinner she was, he wouldn't even let her touch him. She had a reputation. But a woman like that that would bravely just enter a Pharisee's house and do what she did, how do you get to that point where you don't care about wh what people think of you? What kind of sacrifice you're making from the other passages in Scripture we see in the other Gospels? We see that her sacrifice, that ointment, was about 300 pence. Again, we establish that's about 300 days' worth of wages. It's almost a whole year's worth of wages. And in one fell swoop, sacrifice it all right there to Jesus Christ. What causes a person to do that much? Well, point B, first one, we saw how much we serve is directly correlated to how much we love. And the second thing is how much we love is determined by how much we believe we've been forgiven. How much we love is determined by how much we believe we've been forgiven. See, when I first started preparing this message, my second point was this. How much we love is determined by how much we've been forgiven. But I'm, I'm going to show you why I stuck in that word believe because that's what really changed this passage for me. Like I said, the first couple times I read this, I had a hard time understanding this. I began asking questions. Are some people really forgiven much and some little? Because that's what it seems like Christ is saying. Verse 47 Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. If we don't read this right, we can assume that, you know what, there are some people that sin a lot and some people that sin just a bit. Which, by logical conclusion, some people then are forgiven a lot and some people are forgiven only a little bit. Which would then explain why some people serve a lot and some people serve a little. It begs the question, is Christ comparing Simon's love with this woman's love in front of all these guests? Again, like I said, no, I believe Christ is doing something else. Simon's wondering, if you look at the, his words, or I should say his thoughts, he's, he's, seeing, he's speaking in, within himself, verse 39 says. He says, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Simon's wondering how Christ could possibly allow a person as sinful as this woman to touch him. You can almost hear the contempt in his voice. And that shows us that he clearly thought he was better than her. I'm a Pharisee. I invited Christ over here, but this woman, this, this sinner, she's touching Christ? She's, you know, and, and what's crazy is we see the other parallel passages... They rose up in indignation, the Bible says, in Matthew chapter 26. The disciples, specifically Judas Iscariot, if you remember, they're saying, couldn't this ointment be sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? They were upset that she had been doing this. But what's amazing to me is this, is that although Simon was shocked at how this woman could do such a thing, Christ, I believe, in all this, in this parable, in him pointing out their actions, he's trying to teach Simon this, and that's this simple truth. We have all been forgiven much. See, it changes this whole passage of Scripture when you realize that. There's no much and little, really. The fact of the matter is, we've all been forgiven much. I'm going to read you a few verses for sake of time. You don't need to turn to them, but these verses I'm sure you already know. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Earlier in that chapter, Paul writes to the church in Rome and he says, There is none righteous, no, not one. And 
when we start seeing that, we, you might think along with me, oh yeah, I've sinned, I've got that debt. Just like Christ said, there were two debtors. We're all debtors, but there's some that owe more and some that owe little, right? Well, James chapter 2, verse 10 changes that completely. Because James writes, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in just one point, yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. So although I grew up in a Christian home, from a human standpoint, I haven't committed any egregious sins. I haven't robbed a bank. I haven't taken a life. I haven't done what we would consider, oh, that's, that's terrible and rightfully so. I haven't done all those things. I've done what you would consider petty sins, little sins, kind of, you know, the ones that, you know, we kind of just a little slap on the wrist and it's done. But no, I'm guilty of the entire law. Before God, I've sinned much. I've got many sins. And that means when I ask Christ for forgiveness and we've established he forgave it all, he forgave much. I've been forgiven much. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Okay, what's the measure of that? According to the riches of his grace. And if you continue reading in Ephesians chapter 4, he talks about the exceeding riches of his grace. If, God, if God's forgiveness is according to his grace, that's a lot of forgiveness. It's a lot. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, he writes, uh, Paul writes, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Friends, I'm here to tell you today, if you've been forgiven, you've been forgiven much. There's no one can say, well, I've just sinned a little. I've been forgiven a little. We've all been forgiven much. It doesn't matter if you feel like you haven't sinned much in your life or if you feel like you have sinned much. If you trusted Christ as your Savior, you've been forgiven much. So the point of this short parable in this context isn't really about how much you've been forgiven. I hope we've established that. But your perception or your perspective on how much you've been forgiven. You see, Simon and this woman, they were both forgiven much. Because, let's be honest, 500 pence, 50 pence, if you can't pay it off, you can't pay it off. You know, if I had a debt of $5,000, can't pay it off, what's the difference between 5000 and 50000 if I've only got 100 in my pocket? We've all been forgiven much. So the point of this is our perception or perspective on how much we've been forgiven. Again, I keep coming back to this because, please, don't misunderstand. This is not about being guilt-driven. Because when I read this, I thought this too. Okay, God, I get it. I've got to love you more so that my, my service to you can be more. Okay, I've been forgiven much. Now I, got to, I, I just got to love you. Okay, how, how, do I, how do I get this deeper love? Come on, like just by sheer will, I just got, I just got to love God, right? You, got, you just got to love God. But the more that I grow closer to God, and the more that I learn from God's word, the more I realize that manufactured love, forced love, is not love at all. It's got to come from an outflowing. It's got to come from something. Well, the Bible tells us that we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. 
So when my love gets cold, when my love starts to shrivel up and it starts to wane, as it did when, when, when God brought this passage to me and I wanted to just, I'm done with it. God brought me back to what we sang about this morning, the gospel. It's what we stand in. It's why we're here. No, Paul says in, in Colossians chapter 2, uh, uh, verse 6, as ye have, there, have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye therein. It's amazing to me, even in my own life, I've been saved. I was saved when I was nine years old, but it's almost like the longer I get saved, sometimes it's, it happened so long ago, and so much has happened since then, that it's almost like my salvation in and of itself becomes less important, and I'm so focused on my sanctification. Which, by the way, sanctification is definitely important. But it's no excuse for us forgetting how incredibly special and just absolutely blessed we are to have salvation. That's our fuel. So, what's our motivator? What's our reason for serving the Lord? It's love. And what's the key to having that love? Remembering, realizing, excuse me, and remembering how much we've been forgiven. You see, this woman, she knew that. I've got so many sins. If I'm going to get forgiveness from Christ, it's going to be a lot. It's going to take a lot of forgiveness to forgive me. And because it's going to take a lot of forgiveness, and because I've been forgiven much, it's just a natural expression, I'm going to love much. And out of that love comes my service. So my question to you is, do you, have you been forgiven this morning? And if you have, do you realize to what extent you were forgiven? Does it blow your mind how much you've been forgiven? Does it absolutely floor you when you think of what Christ did for you? Does it amaze you when you realize how much Christ loves you? Because someone who is forgiven much loves much. Someone who's forgiven little loves little. That's what Christ said. And as I look through uh, the... Uh, this example and all the examples of the Bible of people who did incredible things for God, I, I, I see this theme again and again, but I decided to pull some quotes from some more contemporary missionaries. I don't know if you've heard of C.T. Studd, but he sacrificed a lot for the Lord. He was a, 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 a really famous athlete that gave it all to the Lord and served the Lord as a missionary in Africa, and he said this, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, no sacrifice is too great for me to make for him. Amy Carmichael went to India, suffered greatly, sacrificed so much for the Lord. She said this, when I consider the cross of Christ, how can anything that I do be called a sacrifice? Adoniram Judson, which by the way, we could go on and on about him, the incredible things that he overcame. Can you imagine translating the entire Bible into a different language only to have a fire destroy all of it in one day and you go right back at it and translate it the second time? And this is back before we had, you know, uh, MacBooks and things like that, so he was doing it all by hand. He said this, he said, if I had not felt certain that every additional trial was ordered by infinite love and mercy, I could not have survived my accumulated sufferings. It's clear from these statements that these people were filled by love. Maybe I'll bring it a bit closer to home. Here's some lyrics, some words from some hymns that we so love. When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, written by Isaac Watts, he says, he writes down, See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small? Love so amazing, so divine. He's focusing on the love of Christ. He says this, demands my soul. 
my life my all. It's just a natural reaction. Thomas O'Chisholm wrote this in Living for Jesus, one of my favorite hymns. He said, Living for Jesus who died in my place, bearing on Calvary my sin and disgrace, such love constrains me to answer his call, follow his leading, and give him my all. That's what Paul said. God, the love of Christ constraineth me. It wasn't just this sense of duty. It wasn't the care of all the churches. It wasn't his responsibilities. It wasn't his fear of looking bad in front of his peers. No, the love of Christ was what constrained him. I got to serve God. Why? Because I love him so much. Why do you love him so much? Because I've been forgiven much. I'm going to finish with this quote by that same missionary I told you about as I went up to that mountain church and I'm just trying to process uh, what just happened uh, uh, in, in my time speaking with this lady with, uh, with the disability and her walking and her testimony. And I get back and I sit with this missionary and I'm getting a bit emotional. I'm thinking, wow, I'm just convicted by that. And I look over at this missionary, which by the way, he's got plenty of stories himself and, and I'm just, I'm so thankful that I got to spend some time with him. He's been serving the Lord now for about 40 years. And he says to me, because he can see the look of just shock on my face still that someone would do that. And he looks at me and he says this quote and I have it up on the screen. It isn't difficult to give your life to Christ when you truly realize how much it cost him to redeem it. I wish I could take credit for that quote. It isn't difficult to give your life to Christ when you truly realize how much it costs him to redeem it. So if God wants me to stay where he's called me, I'm going to do it, not because I'm tough or because, you know, I'm awesome and I can do all these things, not at all. I've wanted to throw in the towel more times than I can count. But I hope and I pray that God uses this passage in my life and I hope that God uses it in yours as well to continue staying faithful to the Lord because when we realize how much Christ has forgiven us, then really there's no sacrifice too great, too great excuse me, to make for him. Let's allow love to be our motivation because we've been forgiven much. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all you've done for us, Lord. There's no words that we can use to express how thankful we are. Because not only have you just saved us, that's just incredible in and of itself. But Lord, you've chosen to use us. And Lord, you've promised that you will be with us and continue to work in our lives. And that working a lot of times requires us to be stretched. It requires us to step out of where we're comfortable, step out of the familiar, the convenient. And Lord, I don't know what your leading and calling is in the lives of uh, those who are here with us today. I, I pray, Lord, uh, that you would make your leading known to each person here. And Lord, in the flesh, including myself, a lot of times we can drag our feet, we can be hesitant, we can be afraid. We can just not want to do what you've called us to do because it's easy to overlook something like that when really there's not much of a motivation. But Lord, help us to realize that when we truly realize, when we truly understand, excuse me, how much we've been forgiven, natural response is just love. And that love is what should fuel us to serve you. Lord, I pray that you would continue to work in hearts, work in mind. And Lord, we'll give you all the praise and honor for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.